Today on Main Calling, a conversation with actor Gabriel Byrne. It seems as though the Irish actor Gabriel Byrne never stops working. He has starred in 35 movies and appeared in dozens of others, appeared on stage in New York, Dublin, and London, and even had his turn on several television shows, recently as the lead of In Treatment on HBO. You might think Byrne's home base is Hollywood, but it's not. For the past decade or so, Byrne has lived quietly with his wife and young daughter in Midcoast, Maine. I'm Jennifer Rooks. Today on Maine Calling, we will talk with Gabriel Byrne about his career, making Maine his home, and his involvement in an upcoming event in Camden. His film, The Usual Suspects, will be shown as a fundraiser for Finding Our Voices, which aims to support domestic violence survivors. Maine Calling is just ahead. Maine Calling on Demand is made possible in part by Maine Farmland Trust, working with farmers to grow the future of farming and food in Maine. Learn how you can get involved at mainefarmlandtrust.org learn. And by Maine Seacoast Mission, strengthening Maine's coastal and island communities through education, health, and support. Learn more at seacoastmission.org. This is Maine Calling. I'm Jennifer Rooks. You may associate Gabriel Byrne with films like The Usual Suspects or Miller's Crossing, but in his long acting career, he has been in countless other films and on stage and on television. But instead of living this Hollywood life, he's here in Maine enjoying the peace and natural beauty of our state. Today, we will talk with Gabriel Byrne about his life and career and how he likes being a Mainer. And we invite you to join the conversation. What questions do you have for Gabriel Byrne? You can send a brief email to talk at mainepublic.org, post a comment on Facebook or Instagram, or give us a call at 1-800-399-3566. Gabriel Byrne, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to Maine Calling. Oh, thanks, Jennifer. I'm I'm very happy to uh, to talk to you. I have to ask you. So many of us have a story of how we came to Maine, how we came to love Maine, how we came to actually decide to live here. What's yours? Why Why is um, this well known and famous Irish actor here in our state um, enjoying the same beauty that we do? Well, yes, that's an interesting. It's an interesting question how people find themselves in various places. Usually. Um, it's not premeditated in the sense that I, I I didn't sit somewhere and say I think I'll move to Maine. <laughs> um, um, I was um, I'd lived in many cities around the world, and um, I, I was going through a period of my t- uh, of my life where I'd lived in in New York for quite a long time, and I got sick of the the, the city, I, I, the energy of it, the fact that you could not see any vista or panorama that wasn't concrete. And I got tired of that because I come from a place where you're uh, 25 minutes from the sea and 25 minutes in the mountains. That's the, the, the topography of Dublin, mountains and sea. So as I was saying to somebody the other day, I think every immigrant or immigrant, exile, whatever you want to call a person who leaves their own country, they're always looking for something of where they've left in the place that they come to. And um, 
the unique thing about uh, uh, um, emigrating or immigrating is that you you don't belong in the place that you've left anymore and you don't really belong in the place that you go to. And I think a lot of exiles can identify with that particular feeling. You go home because you need to go home and then you miss the place that you've just left. That's a particular quandary. But um, I, I remember a friend saying to me, you know, why don't you make up your mind about where you want <laughs> to live because you can't go back to Ireland. Uh, for many reasons, um, most of them being that the country I left has changed so completely that um, I don't know that I would fit in there again. Um, and he said, oh, it's a good job you haven't been to Fiji because you'd probably want to live there as well. Um, so I came down here for a wedding with my, uh, uh, with my wife and uh, the wedding was in Camden at the harbour. And I looked around and I saw the hills and I saw the sea and I started to feel comfortable. And it was the first landscape that I had got into, that I had gone into, where I felt, you know, there's something of where I left in this landscape. And we came back then quite a few times and and, and then... A friend of ours, um, Annie Appleton, told us, you know, there's a there's a um, there's a house for sale up in a particular place, and she said it's got a beautiful apple tree outside it. And uh, we went up, and I said, this is it. This is where I think we should uh, rest our weary bones. And um, I haven't made a mistake, and I absolutely uh, love living here. Um, I've always. Um, thrived, loved, and thrived in in nature, and and the opposite in cities actually. Um, so um, I feel at home here as much as an immigrant can feel at home, and I um, I like the people here. They're um, they, they they give you space and uh, they're friendly and. Um, quite reserved people I've found for the most part. Um, but around this area here, around Rockland, it's full of photographers and, and um, artists and writers. And the, 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 the place reveals itself to you bit by bit, the hidden roads and um, the little uh, nukes and crannies that you don't know when you just drive through it. And so it is with the people too. They, they, in their quiet way, they reveal themselves to you bit by bit. So um, it's also very far away from the craziness of um, not just New York, but of the film business itself, which um, I was never, um, I never felt that I belonged in, in that world of red carpets and flash bulbs and all that stuff. And I went out of my way to try and avoid it. Um, I just didn't feel comfortable in it. Uh, but I did live in Hollywood for seven years and got to see it up close in a way that I never imagined I would. Um, it's interesting you say Annie Appleton. She is an artist, and um, uh, I appreciate that you um, brought up her work. Gabriel, you said that you don't know that you'd fit in in Ireland anymore. What do you mean by that? Well, um, I think... Can you go back to the place that you 
um, where your roots are? It's a big question. And I think a lot of immigrants struggle with that um, because you're changed. You've gone into another world and the world that you've left behind uh, changes too. Um, so uh, I think the, the, as I said, the, 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 the country that I left has changed so much that I don't think I could settle there again. I like the neutrality of Maine. Um, going back to Ireland, there's too many ghosts there for me, you know. Mm. So many people I know have passed on. and um, You know, even buildings, you look and say, oh, that's where that used to be. And um, But it's more the sense that when you become a wanderer, which is essentially what I became going from place to place for the last 35 years, um, it's difficult to settle and it's difficult to go back to where you came from. Um, you know, there is no going back to Kansas, I find, uh, because you have changed so much. It's it's so interesting that you say that. I was actually even wondering if it was because um, you wouldn't be able to live a quiet life there because you're such a celebrity. One thing I've noticed, Gabriel, is that almost everything you say becomes a headline in Irish newspapers. And, and I was thinking that that might be uh, difficult. Um, yeah, I suppose in a small, um, in a small town, which Dublin is, it, it is a city, of course, but it has the, the characteristics of, of a small town. And, um, you know, I, I remember once there was a, an American magazine that was going around in, 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 in Dublin for tourists. And it said, um, you know, you walk down any of the main streets in Dublin and you never know who you'll meet. You could meet a new friend. You could even bump into somebody like Gabriel Byrne. <laughs> and this woman came up to me and she said, here, look at this. This is hilarious. They're just telling me that we might bump into you. And here we bumped into you. We, we bumped into you. So that was an American tourist. Um it has all the comforts and all the disadvantages of a small of a very small town and um you know up to a while ago there wasn't that many people uh who had worked abroad from from ireland but then you know that all changed and you know um daniel day lewis won an oscar and you too came out of it and and, and now there's a whole raft of young actors and finally um you know, there is now a valid recognition of Irish actors as oh, being, sure. Um, yeah. Sure. Liam Neeson, who you've known since you were, uh, what, in your 20s? Um, oh, we've and... known each other for, for years and years and years, yeah. And um, he and I actually were the first ones to leave Ireland to come to uh, to come to America. And when we came here first, he couldn't be understood and I wasn't understood. They were so unused to the Irish accent in a public um, arena that um, they couldn't quite make out where he, they thought he was Scottish and they thought I was from New Zealand. At least a couple of people did <laughs> because they weren't, they weren't used to hearing um, a, a, an accent that wasn't English or American or in some cases, Australian. 
Oh, that's so funny. I, I really want to ask you about accents and I want to ask you about acting. But before we talk about that, th one of the reasons you're talking to me today is that um, you've decided to become involved in an event that's coming up at the Camden Opera, House, Camden Opera House. You've rented it out. Uh, they're going to show The Usual Suspects, um, which was, I, I guess, would you describe that as your breakout movie, if you will, um, um, 30 years ago? But but. But why, why are you doing this, Gabriel? Um, you have been living, as you say, quietly in Maine, but, but willing to do this event um, for Patricia McLean's organization, Finding Our Voices. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I, I, I met Patricia and she, she, um, she told me, I mean, I had known of the work that, you know, she has done in the state of Maine and it's phenomenally impressive work and it does provide um shelter um in in emotional and physical shelter for people who have been uh, abused in domestic situations um it's a problem that's not unique to maine it's universal and and as with um other forms of abuse um it tends to be cloaked in silence uh, and shame and a, a very realistic fear, sense of fear. Um, so my feeling is that um, if this evening contributes to, a, to the spread of awareness about uh, this problem in the community and one person lifts the phone, then it's a, then it's a success. But this kind of abuse tends to happen behind closed doors and it tends to be associated, as I said, with fear and 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 silence. And it is a huge it, it is a huge problem. And spreading awareness of it is, I think, um, something that I feel I was um, um, I, I was happy to do it because um there's an Irish writer called Roddy Doyle, uh, who you may know. He wrote the commitments, and he wrote a, a fantastic book called "The Woman Who the, the The Woman Who Walked Into Doors," and it was it's a novel about a woman who lives with a husband um, who is physically um, uh, physically violent with her, and her excuse when she would go out with a, a black eye or a broken arm was, "Oh, I, I walked into a door." So um, for me, I think that, you know, the more we talk honestly about um, issues that we think are unique to us, um, the more we can communicate, the more we bring these things out from under a rock and look at them, uh, the, 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 the better it is for every individual and for the community as well, because these things happen under rocks and in silence so that's what the evening is about it's not about you know um me showing a film it's one way of getting people into a room where they can enjoy a film that i think has um you know held up pretty well over the years and it's not like a lot of the art house films that i've done um it's it's it's, it's a crowd pleaser you know <laughs> We have but if you do here. know, I, I I would say to somebody, if they do know the ending of this, please don't tell your friends because the ending is, uh, it, it's one of the most famous endings in, in films, I think. 
It, it's it really is. To, I I would I would say here here. Uh, my husband and I rewatched it last night, and um, um, it's not the same experience when you know what the ending is. Uh, I have an email here from the Maine Coalition to End Domestic Violence. We are so glad that the issue of domestic abuse and violence is getting such a big platform in Maine, and they want to let people know about their services. They say they have advocates. Um, their resource center offers a range of supports, including safety planning, legal advocacy, housing navigation, financial assistance, emergency sheltering, and more. And you can always call 866-834-4357. We'll put that information on our website. We are speaking with the actor Gabriel Byrne, and I haven't even asked you any questions about acting, Gabriel, so we will do that after the break. Yeah. (laughs) If you and the audience have any questions, uh, 1-800-399-3566, a brief email to talk at maincalling.org, or find us on social media, and we will be right back. Welcome back. I'm Jennifer Rooks, and you are listening to Maine Calling. Today, we are speaking with the actor Gabriel Byrne. He's originally from Dublin, has acted on stage, television, and film. He's written two memoirs, the recent one called Walking with Ghosts, and he lives in Rockport with his family. Join the conversation, 1-800-399-3566. Send us an email, talk at mainepublic.org, or comment on Facebook or Instagram. Gabriel, you were talking about accents earlier and how when you first came to America, people didn't understand your Irish accent. I'm struck by mm-hmm. how many different nationalities you've played. Um, you've played Americans, Irish, you've played Italians, you've played a Viking recently. Um, how do you how do you adopt a different accent, especially when your natural accent is, is really so, um, well, lovely and pronounced? Um, yeah, that's... Um... That's an interesting question. I, I, I always, um, I always uh, uh, approach um, a role that I'm playing uh, from an emotional point of view. What's the character feeling? Um, because that's what defines us. Really, is our inner, our inner lives. Um, and so, once I, once I feel that I can connect with that and understand that. If if the character is from say Kentucky or somewhere, well then I'll work um, a little bit on that accent, um, and 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 see how it connects with the character. Um, I I um, I've had to change. I, I mean, I, I've had to change my accent over over the years, you know, because. Uh, as I said, sometimes people don't understand certain words that you say, you know, and you pick up Americanisms. You also pick up the rhythms and uh, of of um, of uh, of another country. And I have picked up um, American rhythms. And when I go back to Ireland, I turn into you, you know the, the the guy I left, which is like totally Dublin accent, whereas. Here, um, I I have to speak slower, and I have to occasionally repeat words. Um, like uh, if I if if I said, for example, I told her about people say you told what, I told her. So that's how gradually, bit by bit, and having absorbed the rhythms every day of listening to, uh, to, to, to other people, it starts to become, uh, part of you. How would you talk and, and, in Dublin? 
I for Jesus sake here, Jennifer, I'd be going at such a bull that you wouldn't even know what I was talking about. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's wonderful. Um, what was I going to say? I was wondering how you prepare for a film. I've read that there are some actors who or, um, you know, maybe book themselves into a hotel room for two weeks so they don't see anybody and memorize their lines and get into character and others who can just walk on set. Um, I, I imagine that with all of the work that you've done that you really don't have the time to be the kind of person booking yourself into a hotel for uh, a few weeks uh, before every single character. Well, I, tell you, I don't I don't know many people uh, who booked themselves into hotels to get ready for a role unless they were up to something else. <laughs> um, but I think, um, I think people go about it in their, in their different, uh, in their different ways. Some people like to just walk around and think about it. And then, but there's always a certain nervousness when you produce the, the, the product of your preparation for the first time, because, um, Actors tend to be uh, fragile people, uh, contrary to the um, the cliche of the flamboyant kind of um, extrovert character that people think a lot of actors are. There's, there's a real sense of um, trepidation when you produce what you've worked on, the accent, etc., uh, on the first day of set, when everybody's incredibly nervous, the director, the actors, and, because I think a lot of actors feel that, you know, when they, um, when they, you know, get into character and go on the set, there's always a sense that you're going to be tapped on the shoulder and saying, well, who are you? How did you get in here? Uh, who told you that this, get out, out, security, out. People think like that. You they still think like that? I do, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I just did. I just did a. It's a John Wick thing. Some of your listeners might have heard of it, but we did it. And I remember for the first three days, um, being absolutely racked with nerves, and um, of course that makes you self-conscious. You know, um, it can be like going on the worst date of your life, where you think, "Just let me out of here." <laughs> Uh, this is not working. I have to get away. I have to get to the airport and escape. But of course, you can't do that. So you have to, you have to push through it into a place where you gain a certain amount of confidence. Um, I mean, Charles Lawton, who was a, a, an old time actor, used to have it written into his contract that he could reshoot the first week of, of his work because he realized that in the first week he was still nervous and um, unsure and uh, flailing around trying to find what it is that he wanted to say as, as the character. But um, I don't think acting gets any easier as we get older. Um, in fact, it might even it might even get harder because, um, it, it, you know, not that I'm comparing it to childbirth, but, um, you know, people forget the, the 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 pain of childbirth they say i don't know how you could but they do say that um and also you forget when you do a a, a film you forget how hard it is to actually make most films uh very difficult 
when people tend to think about actors and the, and the business of, of films and acting and stage and so forth, they just see red carpets and they see cameras. But that's the very, very, very tiny tip of a long, long process um, that um, sometimes is a very, very fraught uh, a journey. It, it can be a wonderful uh, um, experience, but it's... It, in in my uh, career, I found that making films is really, really difficult. Uh, apart from the fact that you have to do the, the work, which is, of course, why we do it, and it is tremendously exciting sometimes to, you know, to be, a to be able to do that. But uh, to be in a hotel room in a different country without your family, getting up at four o'clock in the morning, uh, getting home late at night, eating in a restaurant. Um, that's not, um, and I'm just, they're the last three films I did that I had that kind of an experience. Um, so you never know what's going to happen, but you do know that it's not going to be like two or three months of, of just um, walking on the red carpet and, you know, getting um, prizes and things. Right. You know, you talked about how you're always nervous. I can only imagine there are many younger actors, Gabriel, who feel that way about acting with you. Uh, feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm in this with Gabriel Byrne and I'm very intimidated. Well, you know, I'm intimidated by um, by, by people. Um, and and, and if, if, if I'm working with a younger actor, I, I try to um, extend a hand of support to them but they also give me uh support and they're going through the same thing that i'm going through and i don't really know much more than they do um it's not one of these things where you're building a table and you get you get to a place where you can really build a great table and you're working for windsor chairs over in lincolnville and you think oh well now i know how to make a great chair acting you never know. You never know if you've done it right, um, and you never get to this place where you can say, "That's it. I know everything there is to be known, and I don't have to try anymore." Because the last film that you did doesn't exist anymore, and the film that you're going to do, if you're lucky from now on, doesn't exist either. So it's this moment in this day, and I find that. Um, um, it's a very peculiar um, atmosphere to work on a film. Um, somebody asked me what it was like once, and I said, well, it's like being trapped in a lift with 12 strangers, and this, the lift stops between floors, elevator, I'd say here. The elevator stops between, uh, between floors, and you're stuck with these people, and you get to know each other. And what you have in common is being trapped in an elevator. Well, eventually it gets to the bottom floor and you all walk out and you all go different ways. And the only thing you have in common, if you ever meet one of those people again, is the fact that you were stuck in the elevator for four or five hours. And that is the way it is with film. Once the film is over, people rarely have contact with each other again hmm. beyond being, oh, yeah, that was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's that's really what bonds them is that common experience. I am. Um, 
I don't have many actor friends, one or two, in all the years that I've that I've worked, or director friends, and I tend to stay away from uh, the business. But um, it's a very peculiar thing. Long-lasting loyalty um, or friendships don't necessarily come from from making films. But when you're making them at the time, they seem to be the most important thing in the world because you're in that bubble, you're in that reality. And then when it's over, you have to stagger out into the real world um, again. And it's important to remember that work is not is not everything. And I've been very lucky in my career to work because um, the reality of the acting business is that 98% of people are out of work, uh, you know, most of the time. And it's a very, very difficult business to uh, to be successful in. Um, so I'm blessed and very, very lucky that I've been given these uh, given these opportunities. That's why you can never take it for granted. But I also understand that work is not what defines me. What defines me is myself and my work is what I do. And work can be very satisfying or it can be, as I said, very, very difficult. But um, we're not we're not our work. And I found it with a lot of people when they're out of work, then they're confronted with the reality of who they are. And you say, well, who am I outside of work? And so I've always been conscious of that and conscious of develop, developing myself um, away from, uh, away from, you know, making films and being on stage. Mm. We have some audience questions for you, Gabriel Byrne. Um, we have Patrick calling from Lincoln. Hi, Patrick. Go ahead. Hi, Jen. This is Pat McGowan calling. First, I want to welcome uh, Gabriel Byrne to, to Maine. And there's a group of us Irish-Americans who travel to Ireland for four, over 40 years. And uh, I suggest you go to the west of Ireland if he's tired of Dublin. And we have wonderful welcomes, and we hope he gets wonderful welcomes here in Maine. But two questions. What's his call on the Academy Awards with uh, uh, Killian Murphy up as being uh, best actor for Oppenheimer and the method actors, uh, uh, someone said that uh, Killian wouldn't come out of Oppenheimer role and Daniel Day-Lewis wouldn't, wouldn't leave Abraham Lincoln for the whole time he was shooting. Just comments on, on those things and his picks for the Academy Award. Well, there's a lot of, que there's a lot of questions in there. Um, um, first of all, I think Killian was a brilliant actor before, um, before Oppenheimer. Uh, for many, many years. Um, secondly, um, this is my own feeling that um, I don't think that prizes and awards necessarily reward um, the, 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 the quality or the depth of a performance. How many hundreds of thousands of films are released around the world? every uh, every year we get to see you know maybe 10 or 20 of those films and we're asked to then vote on those 10 or 20 films it's a bit like politics you know you've got two parties and if you don't want to vote for either of those parties um then good luck to you but um i think um prizes and awards are overrated and um 
uh, Killian will win Best Actor um, for sure, and the movie will win uh, uh, Best Best Film. I'd be shocked if it if, if it didn't. But we place too much emphasis on those kinds of things, and uh, I've I've received um, a couple of awards myself, and. Um, you know, uh, it's nice. It's lovely. It's like being called up to the front of the class when you're at school and the teacher says, well, look, Gabriel has written a lovely little uh, composition here, a little essay, and he's going to read it out to the class. Good boy. Here's a prize. It's a bit like that, because when you get home and you put the thing up on the on the on the, on the shelf, how long can you spend looking at that? It doesn't really change who you are but everybody thinks that if they get to this mythical place where they win these prizes and they get this money or they get that house or they get that role whatever it is then that things will be okay then but i have found uh, amongst the people um, that i know who have won major awards it doesn't really change terribly much it does put an extra pressure on you because now you're expected to be in a hit film every time you go to you go to work and hollywood gives you three strikes about three strikes um you get the award then what's the next one that better succeed but they'll still give you a go at a third one if the third one doesn't succeed then where are you um, so it puts a lot of pride, but Killian is a very, um, uh, um, he's a very committed actor and he's not going to go for the, for the big, for the big check. Um, and so he, he, he um, he'll remain true to himself as an actor, but in terms of, um, uh, what these prizes represent, um, I, I don't think you can take them as indicative of the the, the worth of of um, of a person's uh, talent or indeed career. Pat, thanks so much for your question. Um, clearly, Gabriel, you have such admiration for Killian Murphy. Murphy, and I'm wondering if there's any other actor or any other um, individual performance that you just hold up as is that one performance that one movie that one actor who um you just so admire and so aspire to be like well you know of course that's a subjective um that's a uh, you know a, a sub subjective preference um i there's so many wonderful actors uh um men and women who have given extraordinary uh, performances uh, and continue to do it over the years. I would say that there's a, a distinction, and this is where I would say Killian Murphy is different. There's a, a distinction between a great actor and a star. A lot of stars are not great actors, and a lot of great actors are not stars. Um, but film can accommodate that. Um, the film star, the charisma of the film star, uh, doesn't call oftentimes for great acting. Um, but if there's one actor that I would single out in terms of, uh, you know, somebody I admire, it's a very difficult thing, as I said. I would say Anthony Hopkins from the time he was a, a stage actor in, in London to his um, classical career where he played King Lear. Now you talk about people being nervous. I remember him saying, he played King Lear when he was 46 
and he got universally great reviews for it. But Time Out, the magazine in London, said he was miscast. And he said, what do you think I remembered before I walked out on that stage? So that's the great Anthony Hopkins. He's 86 years of age now, and he's still working and still giving of his uh, energy and his talent. And his career has spanned so many amazing uh, classical roles in the theatre and 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 in film. And um, when you look at somebody like Hopkins or you look at a great actor, you realise what joy they, they actually bring to the world. And people who say, oh, actors are overpaid and actors are just, you know, actors. It's an easy, lazy assumption to make. Because if we didn't have actors, we wouldn't have playwrights. And if we didn't have actors, we wouldn't have films. And if we didn't have films, we wouldn't be able to hold up a mirror to see who we are, because that's what the function of a film or a play is, to allow us to look at ourselves and to see who we are as as people and to leave the theatre or the cinema a little bit changed from what we've uh, from when we went into it. We are speaking with the actor Gabriel Byrne. If you have a question for him, you can get it in. We're getting toward the end of the program, but you can be quick. Talk at mainpublic.org is the email address. Phone number 1-800-399-3566. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Maine Calling. I'm Jennifer Rooks. Today we are speaking with the actor Gabriel Byrne. He's an award-winning actor, producer, and writer. You can share your questions or comments for him by email, talk at mainpublic.org. You can also post on Facebook or Instagram or call 1-800-399-3566. Gabriel, many people writing in to talk about their favorite film of yours. Um, Bruce writes, thank you for having one of my favorite actors on, and hello to Uther Pendragon, and that is from Excalibur. He talks about how much he loved that film and also Usual Suspects. Um, Bud says, Into the West is one of my favorite movies, and I am interested in his thoughts about it. Gabriel. Um, well, Into the West um, is a beautiful film. Um, it's it's a fable about the um, the gypsies uh, in in Ireland. And it deals with a group of people who have been marginalized by society and their heritage and culture. And it is also about children's belief in, in, uh, in fantasy and how these two children make that fantasy come alive. Um, I would recommend anybody who, who hasn't seen it. It's it's a beautiful film for children, and it deals with uh, real life issues in ways that children can understand. And for that reason, it's a unique children's film, but it's a unique fable as well. It's directed by Jim Sheridan, who did uh, My Left Foot. Gabriel, how do you choose what films to be or, or other projects to be involved in? Uh, films, television programs, um, plays? How picky are you and, and what's the bar? Well, I try as much as I possibly can to do something that I think I would like to see myself or that I think is trying to say something uh, about about the world we uh, we live in. Um, I mean, that is not always um, the, the case. Um, but the, 
the, the films that I've worked in over the years tend to be for that reason. They tend to be um, uh, small budget, non Hollywood um, stories about um, issues that that interest me as far as I possibly can do it. But sometimes you have to do um, a picture, uh, you know, because the money is good or because you want to work with a particular person. Um, but uh, generally, I, 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 I try to stick to that and I try to stay away from, um, you know, the really big budget things. Not that they're asking me anymore, but I there was a time when I was asked to do a lot of those things and I just didn't feel comfortable doing those big, big things. An email here from Andrew. How educational or controversial was it to do the role in Stigmata? Well, Stigmata, um, yeah, that's an interesting one because I've done a few horror films and um, a lot of people talk about that one. A lot of people talk about Hereditary, which came out about three or four years ago, which I haven't seen, but I believe is a very scary film. Certainly the script was extremely scary. Um but I don't watch anything that I do ever. Um, uh, uh, um, in the same way, people say, well, why do you do that? You do something and then don't you want to see it? No, it's like somebody looking at a photograph of themselves. Very rarely do people look at photographs and say, wow, I look so great there. Wow, yeah, well, you can't improve on perfection. People look and go, oh, my God, my ears are huge, uh, you know, or something like that. Uh, or if they hear their own voice on tape, they say, oh, my God, I don't sound like that, do I? So um, I think um, uh, um, horror films can be a marvelous way of um, releasing unconscious uh, fears and anxieties into a fictional setting. And this is a very anxious world that we live in and uh, and very fragile. And so just like the ghost stories of old, people were able to funnel what they couldn't actually um, control in real life into these fictional things. Stigmata got into a lot of trouble because um, it made the stigmata, which some people... Um, develop it was the five wounds of Christ um, people start to bleed from their hands and their feet and the sides and from their foreheads and I saw a woman in San Diego who was a stigmatic stigmatic and it's her hands were bandaged and the black blood was underneath them and her husband took the bandages off and showed myself and this uh, detective priest from the Vatican. And there they were, there, there were the wounds. And I said to the priest afterwards, how, how does this happen? And he said, well, it's a physical manifestation of extreme compassion for the suffering of Christ. I said, so that, did, did that means they can, did, did they bleed? So anyway, we did that film and a lot of Catholic conservative people were um, offended by it, but that's the way it goes. We'll go to Irene calling from Richmond. Hi, Irene. Go ahead. Oh, hi, guys. Um, good afternoon. Uh, I was just uh, listening to you about how you were saying that they bring the joy in how they 
portray their characters, Sir Anthony Hopkins, maybe Sir Patrick Stewart, maybe even Hugh Jackman, and how you're talking about horror and how I love horror, and I think it is a high type of art. But um, do you think it's different in, like, European or, like, classically trained versus Hollywood sort of stars that just get thrown into movies and maybe, you know, not cookie cutter, but just here is the script and here do you do it versus I've trained my whole life for this? Mm. Well, that's a good question. Um, I think... um, what people don't sometimes understand that to a great extent, uh, filmmaking is a business and Hollywood is where the factories are and the goods that are produced in those factories are films and they're overseen by corporate, corporate voices. And they're not going to put a Hollywood never went out and said, let's make a really great film about human uh, human beings. What they do is they manufacture the goods, the films, to appeal to the greatest number of uh, possible audiences across the world. Now, what that means is that things, as you say, become cookie cookie cutter um, and formulaic. And actors at a certain stage, certain actors at a certain age, become brands that lead those pieces of... um, um, product into the world. Um, so it is very much a business and it's very much about profit. And it's not so much about uh, whether this guy is a good actor, or that guy is a good actor. What do you get when you put this actor in a film? You get name, brand recognition around the world, and that's why he's in there and that's why he's paid a lot of money. Um, so it is essentially filmmaking is essentially like the music business now, a corporate. Um, a, a, a corporate um, a, a business that is about selling the product to the widest possible audience. That's not new. It's always been like that. But now what you have is a complete division between franchise pictures like, say, uh, Batman or any any one of these uh, things that have an insect after after their name, <laughs> Spider-Man or Ant-Man or Rat-Man or whatever it is, they are franchises and they'll do part 10 if they if they need to do it. And they'll spend three or four hundred million on that. But try to get money for a small budget film, say like two to four to ten million dollars. And that's where you really have to have to work because you you don't have access to the same distribution and you don't have access to the uh, to the money to make the film so remembering that that it is a business run by corporations for the most part and going back to the movies that, that you see for the academy awards some great ones there zone of interest i love um oppenheimer and um there was one or two others that i really like but um I'm guessing you like the holdovers. Yeah, the holdovers. Well, Paul Giamatti is another brilliant actor. And um, I really love that film. And it was nice to see that film in amongst all the the kind of big budget, the big budget film. Because to me, that felt like a human scale film. There's nothing. I I don't like going to see movies where... Um, uh, some m- uh, mythical creature uh, swoops in and saves the world. Uh, 
every every film carry whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, carries a message in it, and that message can be about morality, it can be about politics, it can be about human behavior. But there's no such thing as a movie that doesn't carry some kind of message that you look at it and you say, the most important thing that we're taught not to ask as kids, at least we're we're taught not to say it so much, is why? What's this film telling me? How do I know this film is true? And it affects politics and it affects morality, as I said. When George Bush said, you know, we're the good guys and they're the bad guys, that that message, that reference was already there in 50 to 60 years of films. So we absorb so many values from films that we have to ask, and it's true of news too, what is this telling me and why am I, uh, why am I being told this? Um, so... Um, those big franchise pictures, people say they have no message. But the subtle message of that is that if you rely on one person to change the world, like Batman or whoever, you are not relying on collective action. And it's only collective action that will save us as a people. It's not going to come from one guy flying in with a cape, uh, you know, as I said, some some version of an insect, Ant-Man or one of these people. That is not the way the world is. So we take those messages out of films. Politics uh, feeds off them. And before we know it, that's our opinion about the world we live in. Gabriel, we have about 30 seconds left, but Colleen wants to know something I think a lot of people want to know. She writes, I would like to know what projects Gabriel has upcoming. Um, well, I think that um, Maine, um, as a state, um, should investigate um, bringing filmmakers here, uh, giving them a good tax deal, a good rate, and that would bring uh, profit and um, it would benefit the, 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 the economy uh, enormously. Uh, build a studio here. Uh, as I said, get tax cuts and get people in here to make films because there's a very varied landscape here. And um, yeah, I don't think maybe they have thought about that, but the lady who's uh, in charge at the moment, Janet Mills, I think, um, maybe she could look at that because other states have made that uh, a huge um, economic boon to the local economy. So I'll wait for uh, I'll wait for one of those and then... Great. Um, yeah. Gabriel, thank you so much for spending time with us. Gabriel Byrne was our guest today, an actor who has award-winning careers in theater, TV, and film, um, and lending his talent to Finding Our Voices at an event in Camden uh, in about a week. I'm Jennifer Rooks. You've been listening to Maine Calling on Maine Public Radio.